Good evening. Welcome to the Music Relish Podcast, Episode 10. My name is Perry, and down there in the frozen wasteland of North Carolina is our friend... Lou Calicchio. Yeah. <laughs> How are you faring down there, Lou? <laughs> I'm freezing my ass off. <laughs> well, I think I'm we've got good, a good man. show tonight. Good. Lou, Lou, you came up with this uh, topic of um, rock and roll movies and rock and roll documentaries. Jukebox musicals. What? Yeah, jukebox musicals. And uh, <laughs> and, uh, and when did the K become a T in jukebox? <laughs> when did the what? It's jukebox, right? It's jukebox, but everyone says jukebox. Oh, no, yeah. Or not juice box. Yeah. Like, like the old so, proverbial juice box hero. So, but there's got there's a couple of uh, a couple of categories that don't count, right? We're not talking about like say uh, Jacqueline Phoenix playing Johnny Cash, which he did great. Yeah. Oh, oh sure. Uh, or uh, Gary We're not Busey talking about biopics or anything right, like that. Right. Uh, Gary Busey's Buddy Holly, as great as his portrayal was, although considered inaccurate in some ways. Um, yeah, that doesn't count. These are just things where uh, I, I think if they're impactful, um, one of those one of the ones I've have on my little list here is that you know it was considered culturally significant by you know the uh, national film registry and things so i'm um, things that were influential i mean there's some drama type things in there but if they, i think if they make you think rock you know i mean this is but like i said but like a biopic of the beatles like backbeat we're not including that right but but hard day's night and help would be included absolutely, absolutely. okay yeah so do you want to get the ball rolling, Lou? Yeah, sure. I mean, now some of these things go back early. I mean, uh, there's one, uh, 1955 was the Blackboard Jungle. It was a drama. Uh, I had a young Sidney Poitier uh, portraying a, a, a music student in an integrated uh, high school. Um, uh, it was a pretty influential movie at the time. But they used um, uh, they, they say, uh, like a rock, rock and roll soundtrack is as a part of ways not to promote rock, but just to bring the, the, the awareness of the of the youth into it. Um, so I think they. Um, yeah, that the, was what, the late 50s. That was uh, 1955. Uh, Glenn Ford was in it. Uh, Vic Morrow was Vic Morrow was cast as a punk. Um, wow. But they, yeah. But what they used there, they used Rock Around the Clock by uh, Bill Haley in the comments. Yeah, that was it was in the soundtrack. So that kind of brought, you know, rock, you know, music uh, and the rebellion of rock and roll into it, just like that. The Brando motorcycle movie was the Wild Bunch or the Wild Ones or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was considered, you know, rebellious. You know, the teens were were rising up type of thing. But um, that, yeah, that was early on. But that was sowing the seeds for future rock movies and the awareness of rock and roll as, as a medium to be used in a movie. So, what's your first pick for this category? Oh, that was Blackboard Jungle, nineteen fifty-five. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. So that yeah, that's the one I mentioned. So that was just. You know, it wasn't, I, don't, I wouldn't call it a rock and roll movie, but I think it, it, it raised the awareness and helped, you know, I mean, capitalize on what was then a kind of a youth movement, too, with Elvis and all that pelvis shaking stuff. You yeah, know? but documentaries count also. Yeah, yeah. And if it's, if it's valid, you know, but hey, yeah. we, we may stray into other little areas here, but, you know, no biopics. Okay. 
Got it. No biopics. So do you want me to go with one? Yeah, man. Hit me. I've got one. I really enjoy it. It's the Rolling Stones Rock and Roll Circus. Yeah. Great movie. You're right. I, it was a movie. It was, I don't, I don't know what you want to call it. I mean, it was a DVD. It, 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 was, a concert, it was a concert idea. They were promoting, uh, I think, Beggar's Banquet. Yeah, and, well, but also, I mean, it was, you know, it was a, it was a circus. They had little circus acts and yeah. things like that. Yep. But I remember uh, Jethro Tull. Now, some, some of them were pre-recorded. Some, some were live. Right. And some, like Jethro Tull was not live. They were doing. They, they were miming. They, they were, they, they were doing a lip sync. Yeah. But Tony wow. Iommi was the guitar player. Yeah, right. Yeah, he was playing a, like a white Stratocaster, I think it was. I don't think he was really a member of Jethro Tull, but I think, you know, just like Mick Jagger, uh, Keith was the bass player in the Dirty Mac, you know, he was just... Right. Well, this was 1968. There. there might not have been a Black Sabbath in 1968. Yeah. Right, right. Who knows? I don't know. You would have right? better on that one. Well, that... Um, but that do, was, do, that you know was... who, do you know who directed that? Uh, no. Michael Lindsay Hogg, who directed... Oh, uh, really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Oh, and so... um. So I remember also seeing um, who was the blues player that was on there. Taj Mahal. Taj Mahal. Yep. Yeah. The great, the great Taj Mahal. Yeah. I had the pleasure of seeing him uh, play when I worked at the Bottom Line that summer of uh, 1985. Taj, he was one of the he was one of the better acts I saw that summer. Well, Jesse Ed Davis was gone by then, right? Uh, I get. I don't know. Yeah. Probably, he, right? may, he may have died by then, but Jesse Ed Davis was on guitar. He was playing a telly. And it was slightly out of tune. Huh. Interesting. He, yeah, cool. He looked cool. really high. But it was, yeah. it was, I mean, it was just great. He was on. Wow. It yeah. was, it was really good. And um, yeah, and the Stones were really good too. And what did the Who play on there? Did they play uh, a quick one, a uh, quick one while he's away? I don't know. That, I think the Who did, your man's been gone. I have that on DVD too. I haven't seen it in so long. I've, I probably watched it once or twice. Yeah, and the Stones. The Stone, I think it was one of Brian uh, Jones' last performances with the Stones. He may have gotten uh, fired. This, this was '68, right? 1968. Yeah, he may have gotten fired shortly after that because he really wasn't doing anything. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, he, of course, he was playing, and I mean, he played slide on. Uh, I think what was a parachute man. I don't know. And um, yeah, but there were and there were some great acts on there. And of course, the, the Dirty Mac, right? With uh, yeah. with Mitch Mitchell on drums. Mitch Mitchell. Yep. Yep. And uh, Keith doing Keith the Paul Mitchell. McCartney bass parts on your uh, blues. Clapton on guitar. And Clapton on guitar. Yep. No, isn't that, that's Clapton that's playing on Cold Turkey, I think. Right. Uh, yeah. I, I think he was in that band. Yeah. With Klaus Vorman. Yeah. Yep. That was that was a great uh, a great little uh, movie or a great little whatever you want to call it. Yeah. All right. What have you got, Lou? Um, well, there's a whole bunch of stuff. You know, actually, I'm going to go to. I'm thinking about the Beatles. You know, there's you know, and as far as '50s movies, Rock Around the Clock from '56 that came out the year after Blackboard Jungle. Um, that actually featured musical acts like Bill Haley and the Comets again. Alan Freed played himself. The Platters were in it. You know, the Platters and Only You and the Great Pretender. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, but th those were like fictionalized things. But then um, the Beatles, you know, Hard Day's Night, uh, 
you know, Help. Those were their first two movies. You know, even though they don't seem to like Help, I love it. <laughs> even when um, Face Night, when you think about it, like those little musical clips, they're like videos. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they're they're, they're on sets, and <clears throat> it's cool. It, it's it's black and white too. You know, it, it's 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 an old movie. Um, yeah, it was they, they were great, in it, and, but it was it was the music that was pushing that movie. You know, just like when the, the people went to see Help. You know, the, the plot was kind of neat, you know, it, it was about Ringo, you know, but the, the music drove, drove those movies, even though they didn't think so on the second one. Um, but, you know, they're they're big in, in uh, music cinema, you know, Magical Mystery Tour. Um, have you ever seen? You've seen it, right? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's interesting because it's a Beatles. It's just a sloppy, doesn't it? Yeah, it was a little self-indulgent. Yeah. A <laughs> little bit. Yeah. yeah. But uh, that's right after Brian Epstein died. And uh, that's when uh, Lennon basically thought they were finished and McCartney started leading the way on that. But uh, that yellow submarine in 68, which is cute, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Very cute. Yeah. yeah. And it's uh, Let It Be, which was uh, directed by Michael Lindsay Hogg. That and, you know, Get Back or their companion pieces, you know, Get Back, the one that just came out that you've been watching lately. And I've seen I recently I recently just saw it. Yeah. 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 Um, it's amazing. Uh, the, the, the comparison between those two, between the dreary one from 1970 and the other one where you got to see the lighter side of, of it and them and uh, the, the communication, you know, the, the mind reading and all that and the smoking, lots of smoking, lots of smoking, lots of drinking. And uh, yep. And Glenn Johns, lots, lots of, drinking. boy, he was, he had so much to do with that. Oh, sure. Sure. I mean, the guy was a celebrity in his own right. I, I, I would think so, you know, or at least, you know, well-known if, if he went to the troubadour, they'd know who he was. Um, but the, the work he was doing at that point too, you know, but you know, he was, well, you, you, you saw the part where they basically told him to butt out, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> was that the one where he goes, we're bloody stars. We're, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed it though. I got to tell you. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. Great. All right. Now, what do you got? Um, well, I've got, I've got a whole list of them, but, uh, <laughs> I got to tell you, it's uh, I really didn't enjoy the Woodstock movie with the, you know, the triple split screen that really got to me. But I mean, you know, Santana was great. There there are some great, great performances on it, you know? Yeah. Sly and the Family Stone were really good. Yeah. But the, the way it was shot, I, I don't know. I guess there was just so much footage. They really had to do that, I suppose. I, I've seen it yet. That's the kind of movies, like, I, I like them, but I'm kind of weird with concert movies. Like, I've got to be really enthralled, you know. But I've, I've seen a lot of it. I'm more intrigued by what was omitted. But, uh, when I, you know, Martin Scorsese was one of the editors on that. I think that's where he, uh, so that was what? When that come out? The movie, the movie came out in 1970, but the, the movie came out. Yeah, it was filmed in '69, but the movie yeah. finally came out in '70. Yeah. yeah. He, well, he ended up doing. Well, he ended up going in that route too. Scorsese is, you know, probably we'll probably talk about tonight too. Yeah. Well, he um, did a movie with the Stones, right? He filmed the Stones. Did he? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. At a theater, like a theater in New York City. Yeah. And you know, you know what's cool about these concert movies, like um, Monterey Pop and Woodstock, and even the Festival Express. There's some of the same performers were on all of these. Like, you know, even some of these lesser knowns like uh, Country Joe and the Fish, Canned Heat. They were on, I think, every one. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, well, Monterey Pop was 1967. 
Uh, yeah, the, yeah. The movie came out in '68. Now, what's interesting is that the, the director of Monterey Pop and the two Dylan documentaries is D.A. Pennebreaker. Yeah, yeah. Um, Pennebreaker. But so he, you know, he he was chronicling all that stuff, you know. But um, Monterey Pop. I mean, there's some interesting stuff in there, you know. Scott McKenzie. Yeah. I, I, I remember. Yeah, I remember seeing. Uh, David Crosby, I think. Well, there's a shock, right? David Crosby at a at a music festival, at a festival in, late, in the late '60s. Yeah, was he going on a was he going on a tear, or was that Stephen Stills in Woodstock? I think I remember. Wasn't someone was it was it? I think it was Stephen Stills was just went on a rant, didn't he? Well, I know Neil in Woodstock. Neil Young did not want. He thought it was the silliest thing of having these cameras on stage, really roaming around. So he. So you'll notice uh, in the film, it was Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, but they right. omitted Neil Young. It, right, right. So you can actually tell, you can hear the edit when the wow. whoever does the introduction says, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and they cut it because Neil Young did not want to be filmed. He thought it was like just the silly, and I, and I agree with him. Like, what were these guys roaming around the stage with the cameras for? Come on, <laughs> that, that, that would that would come years later with the last waltz. <laughs> yeah, a couple years later. Yeah, um, yep. But I, I think that they're they're important for the um, just for the amount of artistry that was there, and the names that were involved. Lou Adler is one of the producers with John Phillips of the of Monterey Pop. Um. You know, some of the cool acts like Hugh Masakela, you know, the South African trumpeter. Yeah. There. Um, it's it's got to be one of Otis Redding's last performances because he died in 67 and in December. And this thing, was yeah. like, you know, um, Rabbi Shankar played. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 What was Otis Redding? A plane crash? Yeah. Yeah. With one survivor. The, the trumpeter of the Barkays. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. You went into that a couple of weeks yeah. back. Yeah, I think yeah. One, of our, one of our first few podcasts I mentioned just the the fact that you're the sole survivor story, you know. Wow. Yeah. But, so have you got one? Have you got one now? Uh, yeah. I'm thinking of a couple of things. I'm thinking of the, the Bob Dylan. A couple of pair of things, also both by D.A. Uh, Pennebreaker. Uh, uh, Don't look back from '67. Yeah. Um, you know that that, that was the uh, the first '65 uh, electric tour. Yep. You know, and I, I like I like that stuff. There's some great footage, and Eat the Document is kind of it's a companion piece. Um, it was a '66 tour of the UK with the Hawks, uh, minus Levon, which I, I would have loved to have seen Levon. Yeah, it was Mickey Jones, I think, on drums. Yeah, right. Jones, who, um, yeah, he actually he was Johnny Rivers' drummer at the time as well. Yeah, and an actor too. Oh, uh, okay, really? Yeah, he was in Sling Blade, I believe, too. Was he? He was in Sling Blade. I think so. Yeah. Uh, what did he play? I he played one of the musicians. I think he was like, "There's something wrong with you, man." <laughs> no, wow, that's pretty. This cool. is right, man. <laughs> I think that was Mickey, Mickey Jones. Oh, interesting. Okay, all right. You know what? I'll research that, I, and I think I'm right though. Okay. And Dylan, like, no direction home. Also. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're yeah. playing. Scorsese's done a couple too recently in 2005, and uh, <clears throat> recently. But um, yeah, I like seeing like you know walk around with the Hawks here. Richard Manuel, he's uh, ingesting something, <laughs> offering offering people, uh, men money for their girlfriends and stuff in England or France, wherever they were. And, and you know, um, 
they were getting, of course, you know, and we all know that he was getting booed. They were getting booed everywhere. They, oh, yeah. Yeah. They were getting pelted. And someone calls out Judas. And Dylan says, you're wrong. You're wrong. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. like, so he said, and like even Robbie Robertson said, you know, when they started booing, we played louder and yeah. harder. You know? And uh, the, the footage is great. Uh, some of the versions of, of those songs are great. A Ballad of a Thin Man. And it's, they were such an edgy band to be, to be privileged to be able to see them back then. And, you know, I'm, I don't think I would have booed, you know. I mean, I like folk music, but, you know, it, it's rock and roll. Um, when that was, that was just, rock and roll. That, they were playing rock and roll, man. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's, that's Dylan's first evolution from folk, and, and that was the band that he used. I mean, that's... That is well. The band are a whole other story, you know, and they're also mentioned. To, they're getting mentioned tonight, obviously. Um, the thing, the thing I love about Bob Dylan is, you know, I've seen documentaries on him and I've read his book, and he evolves. He, he his singing evolves. Yeah, he changes the way he sings every couple of records or something. Sure, sure. He, like, he's done. He's done the the, the plummy the plummy country voice of Nashville skyline, but. He also did uh, that album he did with Mark Knopfler. Um, was it the album Saved? Um, you got to, you know, you're gonna have to serve somebody. His voice, you know, he can make it more resonant, and you know, and not like that caricature that he was asked to do on uh, We Are the World, right? I saw, yeah, right, right. They wanted, yeah, I, I saw that little documentary too, where they wanted Dylan to go. They want him to. They want him to do the old Dylan. Like, come, come on, you. They want him. Yeah, they want him to be a clown. They're asking him to impersonate himself. Right. Good lord. And, and for charity, he kind of did it. Yeah. You know, because it was for it was for a good cause. He did it, but I'm sure it was a ridiculous notion on Quincy's part to even ask him to do that. Yeah. Or even ask him to do it like that. Well, like he, he's not recognizable enough. You know, you had to you had to go into a. Into like a, a mime of yourself. Well, wow. like in No Direction Home, Dylan does uh, when he did the um, the Rolling Thunder. You ever see that, that that documentary on Rolling Thunder review? I've seen some of it, and I haven't finished he, it. Well, when he had his he had the fiddle player there. Right. Uh, I can't remember her name was Rivera. And that was part of the uh, Desire tour, I think. Right? Um, no, yeah. um, no, Lena. I'm not sure what Blood records rats. he had out back then, but. Uh, yeah. But he did, you know, he had that song, One More Cup of Coffee. Yeah. And he and his singing was like almost Middle Eastern. It huh. was, you know, was, oh, yeah, he was, he's doing like a chanting thing. Yeah, he was doing these certain like vocal inflections yeah. that were very Eastern. Yes. And so that's what I really admire about Bob Dylan is that he, he evolved, vocally he evolves. He changes the way he sings, which, which is, to me, it's a great thing. Yeah, well, don't try to nail the guy down. You know, it's never been done. Right, right. He's he he can never be. You know, once upon a time, just, like that's gone. That was <laughs> that was a uh, lifetime ago. Right. And yeah. when we when we change to our another format at some point, uh, he's Bob Dylan. We've been saying him and other people we consider iconic. That they they're so standalone uh, that they'll get mentioned as not part of it in anything other than what they are themselves. Or yeah. Just, the, the icons. Yep. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. All right. I've got one. I've got two. I'm going to compare one or two. And they were both for charity. One of them was called Live Aid. The American one was called Live Aid. Right. And the uh, the UK one was called Band-Aid. 
Remember that? With that, yeah. with, that with they each had a song. They each had a hit song. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we we are the world. We are the world, which was I don't know, man. I just thought yeah, like, that was that. Michael Jackson and Quincy Jones. And uh, yeah, and, yeah. And do do they know it's Christmas? And Band Aid had. Um, do they know it's Christmas time? Right. Which was I, I like that one better. It's a better I song, yeah. More melodic and. Yeah. Uh, I think that was Bob Geldof and Midge Your from uh, Ultravox. I I think you're right. Yep. Yeah. And of course, everyone participated from Bono to Paul Young, the late Paul Young, unfortunately. Uh, there's two Paul Youngs that, that are English singers, right? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm well, talking well, about the one who was popular back then. Well, he had a hit every time you go. Yeah, yeah. Did he, did he die? I think he did, yeah. Oh, okay. You know, unless there's two of them, maybe he's alive and well. And, they're both and you, like you said, maybe there's two Paul Youngs and it's the other one. So uh, <laughs> I best uh, hold my tongue. And yeah. I'll, 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 I'll not mention that anymore because I'm not sure. That's a shame. But yeah. but the uh, but the Band-Aid one, I, I really I really liked it. You know, the American one. The American one. I mean, Live Aid was was this huge show and like at a couple of football stadiums. Right. One of them was in like in Philadelphia. Uh, well, uh, no, they, they did too. Well, they, I think it was at Wembley, and then um, they—I think it was in Philadelphia. It was the, uh, the the American one? And Phil Collins did both. He took the Concord. He uh, did. I flew the Concord. He grew a beard in the process. <laughs> and, and then, then he played with uh, Led Zeppelin, and also had Tony Thompson on drums, and didn't quite—you know—apparently, I, I want to go back and see it again, the video. But you know, there were some things on rock and roll that just weren't what they were supposed to be. As legend has it, um, but now Live Aid was was a concert, was a movie. Now the, the British version that was just a video, and you know that was that was a song. There was it wasn't like a rock movie that I was well. There seeing. was a documentary behind it. Okay, yeah, yeah. But Live Aid, I mean, Queen did that. That apparently that was like one a great Queen performance. They tore the house down or something. Wow. Led Zeppelin, I didn't think sounded that good. No, no. I, I remember I was I was watching. I remember his home that day. I watched some of it on on television, uh, live aid. But I, I'm trying to remember what I saw. I saw the um, Phil Collins. That was a big deal. Him landing flying over on the Concord. Yeah. <laughs> and then we saw there was the, the Bowie Jagger video of uh, dancing in the streets. Oh, that was that was part of it, really. Yeah, that that was that was a feature, a little added feature in it. But I this one, this is a little side route. But once I I stopped watching some of it, and then I was watching. I found that movie Failsafe. That a nuclear apocalyptic drama from the early '60s that uh, whose inspirations made it into the lyrics of uh, one of our songs. Oh, uh, which one? Nuclear Holiday. Yes. A Dream of Matador. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Buck. How's your rushing today? <laughs> well, I, I've got a like a, a a bootleg version of that. Maybe we'll play it on the radio show. Cool. Yeah, that'll be on um, on our Music Relish Radio. Absolutely. Soon to be coming Music Relish Radio. Music Relish Radio. Yep. All right. Now, now do you have another one? Because I or... no, no, I picked two. So you, you go ahead. You roll okay. with it. Um. Now this one is um, it's a different kind of entry because it's a drama of sorts, but it, it is a, a comedy horror story uh, take on the Phantom of the Opera, uh, uh, the picture of Dorian Gray and Faust. But it is the Phantom of the Paradise. Oh, Paul Williams. Paul Williams is oh, Paul Williams is in it and also did the score for it. Uh, it's from 1974, uh, directed by Brian De Palma, 
uh, very well known. I think he directed the first Carrie, I think. But um, it stars Paul Williams, William Finley, and Jessica Harper. Uh, she was in uh, My Favorite Year. I know. I okay. love that movie. Yeah. The great Jessica Harper. She played Casey Downey. Casey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so and it, it's kind of a it's, it's like a, a rock opera it's basically a story where you know poems is the unscrupulous music producer and this william finley is the uh the songwriter that does strikes the faustian bargain you know he sells his his soul for like you know that, that moment of stardom that that and it, of course it goes wrong he yeah. gets screwed and he gets his revenge as his character called the phantom of the opera uh, the yeah you, you know who daft punk are right or were they just they just yeah. broke up Oh wow! Okay, they were a duo, and they used to. Uh, nobody knew what they looked like because they used to wear like robot helmets. Yeah, and and Paul, they love Paul Williams. Paul Williams loves them, and that movie was one of their favorite movies. Oh, really? Cool. Yeah, uh, it, it was critically panned, <laughs> which means uh, it's great. <laughs> yeah, well, of course. But the thing is, I, I remember seeing it uh, either the local theater in Keensburg, New Jersey, or in a drive-in where it was campy, but it was entertaining. And there was, um, you know, for 13 years old, there was, uh, there was frontal nudity, in it, you know, it was saucy. Um, but I, it was a fun movie, but it's become a cult classic because in retrospect, it's, it's just a fun movie. And it's also predates Rocky Horror Picture Show, which came out a year later. Um, I just like some of the lines in it, you know, whoever tries dies, you know, and, but Paul Williams is great in it. Yeah. But Absolutely. Yeah, so, and, and so, anyone, if you hear this, if you ever get a chance to see that movie, go see it. Uh, check it out. Sit down and watch it. You'll enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. With Paul Williams. With Great Paul song. Williams. Yeah, Paul Williams. By the way, William Finley. Uh, William Finley as Winslow. He was Winslow, and Jessica Harper. It got an it's got an eighty six percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes. When uh, I think when we did our songwriting uh, thing, we didn't we haven't spoken of Paul Williams le- yet as a songwriter, so we'll have to get into him too. Cause yeah, he yeah, wrote some great ones. He wrote a lot of them, but he wrote some really super hits. Oh yeah, some. If you like the Carpenters, he's got one in there that's just gonna be. You know, it, it, it already broke your heart, you know. I've got another one. You ready? What's up? Hell, hell, rock and roll. Oh shit! <laughs> that's the Chuck Berry. Uh, that's a Keith Richards produ- uh, directed. Uh, or, yeah, uh, Chuck Berry one. Yep. And I didn't think about that one. I didn't ever enter my uh, my my consciousness. That band was so good. Who's in the band? Keith Richards. Steve Jordan. Steve Jordan on drums. Sure. Why not? Robert Cray who also played guitar. Okay. And the bass player. I'm sorry, I can't remember his name, but he was great. Okay. And of course, um. Who was who was Chuck Berry's piano player? He was there, Johnny oh, Johnson or oh, oh wow, he was there, Jimmy Johnson or is it? Yeah, yep. Wow, he was there, yeah. And the, the guy that co-wrote some of those songs. Uh, I don't know about that. No, yeah, I, I, I'm not. I'm not making a judgment. I was just saying uh, there, there. He's had sued, hadn't he? Well, you know, Chuck Berry writes the songs and. I mean, the piano player plays his piano parts to it, and you know, I'm I'm just sure of the dispute. Like, you know, he's if a you pro- yeah. If you provide yeah. a break to a song, a lot of bands go through that. The band went through that. We went through it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you know, I'm going to sue you. What anyway? That uh, Chuck, I mean, Chuck Berry. Like, it, it was great because you know Chuck Berry is notorious 
for just like you know if the song the song is an E, he'll let's let's do it in F sharp or huh. you know or okay. E flat or you know just start and like uh, Keith would do battle with them. I mean they punch each other out apparently sometimes, but it they re it was really good. They really sounded great. That's why Linda Ronstadt was there and did uh, living, rocking it, living in the USA. Okay. Julian well, Lennon. Julian Lennon was there. Wow. Yeah. I, I've, I, I've not seen that one. That was that was in a was that in the nineties? Chuck 90s was gloating over Julian Lennon. Yeah. What's that? Chuck Berry was proud to have Julian Lennon there. Oh. Yeah. Well, Having jam with his father on the uh, on the Mike Douglas show on the Mike Douglas show, yeah, on... yeah, <laughs> yeah. But that was great. It was hell, hell, rock and roll. Chuck Berry was sixty years old then. It was, it was. In fact, it was wow. his sixtieth birthday. That's what the celebration was. He was sixty. His sixtieth birthday. Yep. That's young. Well, he lived to be. He lived a long, long time after that. Wow. Yeah. Fortunately. Yeah. So a hell, hell, rock and roll, Chuck right. Perry. Good one. Um, I, I, I got a double. What do you got? Uh, because I, you know, I'm, the, I'm, a, I'm, the, I'm the biggest band fan that you know. Right? I know. So, um, I got two that they're in, they're involved in. One was their movie, and it's it's the Last Waltz, the 1978's The Last Waltz, directed by directed by Martin Scorsese. You know, it's it's their farewell concert. Um, you know, before they 76, their farewell. Yeah, yeah, that was that was their that was their last performance as they were. Um, so you know, it, it was under the guise, if you you know, in the books that Robertson said that they were going to continue to record, but they never re, you know regrouped after that in that that lineup, the classic lineup, you know. Um, but it, it's, it was considered groundbreaking at the time, just the way it was shot. Martin Scorsese used different camera techniques. They used a, the set of La Traviata of the opera. As, as the backdrop, you know, it was Thanksgiving Day, so was, there was the Thanksgiving dinner served. Yeah, they brought um, the chandeliers in and all They brought chandeliers, they had dancers. Yeah. Uh, Bob Dylan, because Dylan was performing, uh, he had a friend by the name of Louis Kemp that had a, like a, a salmon fishery, and he donated salmon for people that didn't want to eat turkey, including, um, including Bob. Um, there was the whole thing, so it was dinner, a show, and, you know, there, there was the concert itself, which was filmed, so if we were there, you know, if you were there, there was things where I think, I don't know how many, if they did other takes or things like that. Um, but for all of that saw it, it looked very exciting. Great you guess know? too. Uh, like uh, when Ronnie Hawkins oh, yeah. came out and he looks over to uh, Bill Graham, he says, big time, Bill, big time, big Bill. Time, you know, <laughs> Ronnie finally made it. Um, yeah. Well, yep. that, that's the whole thing, you know, I'm sure a lot of us, for people who don't know it, it's, it's, it's chronicles their history. So they brought up a whole bunch of artists that, they met along the years, some that were more formative than others. Um, maybe one that didn't belong there. And, <laughs> and uh, it, it, it meaning just, what, Neil Diamond? Neil, Neil, come dry your eyes. <laughs> yeah, Neil Diamond, it just, he seemed that well, well, Robbie wanted to have that Brill building connection there. Right. And also, uh, Robbie had just produced his album, too. Oh, okay. That may have yeah. something now, to do with it. Yeah. I heard, I heard rumor that Robbie was, was, was wanted to bump, uh, Muddy Waters in favor of Neil Diamond that, and that Levon Helm threatened to walk um, if it happened. But I have, a, I have a hard time thinking Robbie would be that disrespectful as someone. So to be revered. You know, I love one of my favorite moments is when, uh, well, of course, when Mac Rebenack, Dr. John came out. One of the highlights of the, of the, of the concert movie. Yeah. yeah. And also uh, Paul Butterfield. Yep. 
Yep. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, most of them were pretty amazing. Um, even Van Morrison, <laughs> as he was, he was great. Um, uh, the low points for me are what I think the critics mentioned too. The um, Joni Mitchell and Neil, uh, you know, Neil Young kind of he kind of didn't do much for the for the show to me. Well, now um, I've heard, I, I've I've looked, and they say they say you could see some white powder on Neil Young's nose. Yeah, when, when <laughs> he came out, and they, I think they played helpless. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, and, and Leon Helms' book, he talks about it. It was a big coke booger. And because you could tell by the way, you know, well, I, I've never done coke, so, but apparently his jaw was moving in a strange fashion. Or, you know. <laughs> he was kind of chewing his back teeth there, but yeah. <laughs> um, in, the, in the Levon book, they mentioned they, they, because, you know, in editing and how they, the technology back then, he goes, they, they, they invented, they call like the rolling booger mat. Like <laughs> they got most of it out apparently, but well, that was also part of the times too. It was 1976 and uh, LA, it was everywhere. You know, it's, it's, it's an old lore. Yeah. Um, oh, I also yeah. love the staple singers. Um, That's one of the, oh, they're amazing studio segment, right? Well, yeah. What they did. So after the main concert, they did some uh, studio stuff with the staples doing the weight. And also Evangeline with Emmy Lou Harris. Emmy Lou, yeah, yeah, fantastic, fantastic stuff. Uh, they're an amazing band. They're an amazing band. Uh, I just repeated myself. Repeated myself. <laughs> I'm gonna go get the papers. Get the papers. Get the papers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that's the, my the deal. Also... <laughs> so, but that was a great. That was a great movie. Great documentary. The, the the interviews are great too because there's some there's some charming stuff there. You know, Richard Manuel lying on the couch. Mentioning those funny psychedelic band names, you know, like what were they going to call themselves? You know, I mean, well, but what great stories, like you know, the Jack Ruby connection. You yeah, know? yeah. And the the, the Skylight Lounge or something. Stealing baloney. <laughs> Nothing baloney in our jackets. And what was their other? They had another live. Uh, they had another documentary. So yeah, so last Waltz a bit. Um, that's considered one of the best. Uh, rock and roll uh, cinematic movies. I agree um, with that. I agree with that. I'll watch that thing anytime. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I got it. Um, so the, uh, this next one is uh, the Festival Express. It's around. Uh, actually, it, it was earlier than that. It's from a 1970 a train tour that went across Canada. Um, that was that was directed by a guy named Bob Smeaton. But I think it was released in 2003 as a documentary. Um, it's it's the band, it's Delaney and Bonnie, the Grateful Dead, Janis Joplin, Buddy Guy, the Flying Burrito Brothers. I forgot about that. What was, the, what was this? Oh yeah, yeah. The they went, they, Express. They, they, they did a train tour. Yeah. Yep. yep. The Festivus Express. Um, Ian and Sylvia's Great Speckled Bird was in there. Uh, the music was produced by Eddie Kramer of Jimi Hendrix uh, production fame. Wow, Eddie Kramer yep. of many. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, he produced yeah. Kiss too, I think. Yep, and um. You know, Rick Danko is in this one, just jamming, just doing some jamming with people on the bus and on, I mean, on the train, rather. Um, now, there's some a cool little piece of trivia here, which I found out. Right? I think it's really interesting. Uh, there were some other acts that appeared spontaneously. Maybe they didn't do the whole train thing, but they popped up in Toronto or in Calgary somewhere. Um, uh, see, Mountain uh, played a show, I think, 10 years after Traffic did it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the New Riders of the Purple Sage. And uh, the Ides of March, do you know who they were? Yeah, yeah, on your vehicle, baby. Yeah, their vehicle. I don't know, they were a white band. And uh, the guy, Jim Peterick, who sang Vehicle, found its survivor, wrote Eye of the Tiger and uh, other some things, songs for 38 Special. Are you kidding vehicle. me? It's the same guy? It's the same guy. I'm, 
I'm thinking, I'm your vehicle, baby. I mean, it didn't. Interesting like how, it. like, within a decade, how everything changed. Like, oh yeah, and if you know, well, that's the thing about being the songwriter or the producer. You know, you can you can navigate those different corridors. You know, I mean, to, to be in that one band and then go into something else, just like um, Donny Iris. Yeah, yeah. He wrote the rapper. You know, I'm like and then he's then he did like this Buddy Holly-ish and, new wave pop, and then he went to funk and soul or something. Yeah, like. yeah. That that's versatility, man. All right, that is talent. Well, the, uh, so the, the, those are those are the two I had in, involving the great band. All right, well, I've got a chaotic one. I don't know what it's called. I saw the I saw a documentary. I don't know what it's called, but it's the Rolling Stones in 1969 at Altamont Speedway, where the you know the um, the motorcycle club. Yeah. Hell's yeah. Angels with Hell's Angels. security, and it was someone, of course, ended up getting killed. But the uh, there, there were several deaths there. A lot of accidents. There are a few accidents. The Flying Burrito Brothers opened the show. That's right. That's right. They opened a show. Bernie Ledden was in the band then, and Je- I think Jefferson Airplane was there. Yeah, I remember Grace Slick saying they just knocked out our lead, the Marty Ballard. He got he got knocked out. Grace Slick just says, "Yeah, they knocked out our lead singer. They knocked out our lead singer." Well, in the Chris Hillman book, I I shouldn't laugh because it was really just brutal. In the Chris Hillman book, he mentioned that when they went off, he said, "I don't know if he said the Marty Ballard." He goes, "Be careful, like or just be cool." Something he gave some kind of weird, you know, having witness. Yeah, watch, watch, watch out! Don't get involved. You know? Well, I, I think it was a free show. Yeah, it was. It the was Stones a- were. I. This is 1969, so I guess Mick Taylor was a new member of the band. Yeah, and boy, he was what 22 or something. Was he? Yeah, he was a youngster. And life will never be the same. <laughs> and wow, and you know, this is Mick Jagger, of course, stopped the show and says, "People, why are we fighting? Why are we fighting?" And it was just complete chaos. Yeah. But, and, uh, you know, afterwards, there were, of course, there was a helicopter waiting. And um, Graham Parsons, of course, got to the helicopter with the stones. And Bernie led, and, like, they just left us there. We're like, we're, we're dismayed. What, what do we do now? How do we get out of here? Hmm. So, uh, yeah. I'm not sure what, what it was called, but. Give me shelter. It was called Gimme Shelter? Gimme Shelter, yeah, 1970. Really? I thought that was something else. No, that, that was the chronicle of the free concert. Really? At Altamont yeah. Speedway? Yeah. You know, it's where that the one guy that was, was stabbed, and there was also, there was a, um, someone, there was an LSD-induced drowning in the irrigation canal. Um, there was a, two people were killed in a hit-and-run accident. I don't maybe driving through a field or, you know, but... um. It was a violent end to the decade, put it that yeah. way. After a few months before, a whole weekend of peace and love, right? Right. Well, that, that was that was considered also one of the precursors to the the end of the whole summer of love hippie movement. That and the the Manson murders that same summer. You know, the, the whole thing was just you know the, the dirtiness. Just like when George Harrison went to a Haight Ashbury in '67, was horrified at what he saw. He was scared. Yeah, he was scared. Yeah, he was, he was expecting peace and love and, and flower children. And there were people who were strung out and showing up off buses and saying, hey, this. Yeah, thing, In what fact, he he's the one who invited Hell's Angels 
just drop by Apple if you're ever in London. Yeah. And they did. And uh, I got and a great Blue Oyster Cult. They uh, couldn't get rid of them. They couldn't get rid of them. Wow. Uh, Blue Oyster Cult had a song called This Ain't the Summer of Love. <laughs> this ain't the Garden of Eden. There ain't no angels above. And things ain't what they used to be. And this ain't the Summer of Love. <laughs> Have you got another one, Lou? Um. I I was gonna mention I was gonna mention um Ultima. You know, there are things like uh, some movies like rock movies like The Wall, um, you know, the Pink Floyd's The Wall in eighty two. I never saw it. I saw animation clips and it just didn't didn't get me. Now Bob Geldof is in that one. Um and things like like the movie Heavy Metal. You remember that one? I do. That was Don Felder. No, Don Felder had a song in it, um in it. Um, but that's another one. Like uh, Scott Mitter was mentioning, he goes, "You're going to mention the movie Heavy Metal." I'm like, I don't know too much about it. I've seen it. Blue Oyster Cult had the song in it. It was um, all animated, correct? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Well, if Scott Mitter, yes, it was. Yes, it Scott was. Mitter Singh recommends it. I'm going to check it out. Yeah, I mean, it was. Well, I mean, I've heard of it. I just never had the opportunity to see it. Yeah. Um, you know, we talked about uh, Monterey Pop, but we didn't talk about Woodstock. Uh, to that, but I did. Some of the acts were on there were fun, like Sean and I were on there, yeah. Sean and I, yep. Or, or uh, uh, John Sebastian Santana first got known there. Um, the band when Woodstock were, were not in the movie, um, just like Sweetwater. Um, who was in the who was Credence? The, Credence was there. You heard the Credence, Credence story, started, right? uh, the Grateful Dead. They went oh, on, the, Credence went on after the Grateful Dead. Wow, and uh-huh. so everyone was asleep. When <laughs> came on, passed out, and well, John Fogarty tells the story about uh, there's one guy, you know, half a mile back, waving, you know, holding a lighter, and he's like, "I played for that guy, right?" Wow. Very cool. Because after the the so-called infamous dead set, you know, everybody was crashed out. And what was their set considered good, or or just? I yeah, I don't know because it never made the record and it didn't make the movie, so yeah, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Sly and the Family Stone. Sly and the Family Stone were great. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Blood, Sweat, and Tears were not, were not in the movie. The band weren't in the movie because uh, Albert Grossman wouldn't let him. He didn't want, he was trying to limit any exposure to the band. So actually, so that, that was, that would have been the third rock and roll movie that they would have been in, but they were not. Weren't the Who there? Uh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Yep. 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 See, I was going to, my next pick was going to be The Kids Are All Right. Great movie. By The Who, yeah. By The Who. The Ew. Yeah. And, uh, boy, they were crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, do, you know, do you know who directed it? <laughs> Don't tell me Michael Lindsay Hawk. No, 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 no. Or <laughs> D.A. Pennebreaker. It was a guy named Jeff Stein. He, he, was a, he was a fan. He wasn't a filmmaker. And the guy, there was problems making the movie. But he loved them so much that it worked. Um, the guy didn't know how to make movies. He was just somebody. He was an enthusiastic fan. But they, but also, it, the Who, also owned a film studio too. Did they? Was they owned the Real High Studios. I, I don't know what it was called, but they owned a film studio. So a lot, I'm sure, some of it was filmed there. But they, like the Who, I, they may have created Arena Rock. Oh, I would say that definitely. I mean, I love those clips of when they were doing uh, Baba O'Reilly. Oh, yeah. 
It's 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 a show. I mean, adultery. What a what a great front man. <laughs> oh yeah, and uh, you know, you know, Pete Townsend. I mean, this guy he was he was cocky and falsy, man. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh, they were they were on fire, you know. Stoic Ant Whistle. I mean, Moon's Moon's one of a kind. And and of course, John Entwistle, the lead bass player. Yeah, right. That and was playing, a- and playing with a drummer. You know, he said, you know, he said at times playing with Mooney could be a nightmare. And then when Kenny Jones came aboard, it was much easier to just to, to play without apprehension or just worried about something going in a weird direction. But that's what gave the Who their edge. You know, but also, you know, to fill out the time, I mean, there was a little, there's always some self-indulgence with this. Like there was one scene where John, the bass player, John Entwistle was like skeet shooting gold records or something. And then <laughs> blasting him with a shotgun. And he said something like, well, you know, now that we're old now, he was probably 32 years old. And he's yeah, going, probably, well, that. Now, now that we're old, like, you're 32, man. Well, you know, they, they still that 60s mentality that, you know, hey, we got five years out of this. Who knew? Yeah. Um, you know, going on. But yeah, they created, that was bigger, that was big arena rock, you know, in, in the best, in the best sense of the word. Um, and, uh, our, our good friend Jim Bogard had seen uh, the Quadrophenia tour and said, you know, it took your head off, you know, as far as volume. You know, well, any concert you've been to, I mean, you know, I saw Blue Oyster Cult three or four times. And I'm like, oh, good Lord, you know. Um, I saw Mastodon twice in a club, and I'm like, the first time was it was, it was rough, you know, it's, it's volume. Now, does Quadrophenia rate as one in, in this category? I, you know, Perry, I, it's funny because I've never seen Quadrophenia. I've seen clips. I know. I know the the album. Um, I've seen it, it once or it's, twice. Where it, uh, like it's more of a drama. It's more, it's almost like Blackboard Jungle. Yeah. Earlier, you know? Yeah. But I mean, but the who did played it? Ace Face. Yeah. Now, didn't that come out the same year? That was like 1979 too. I think. Uh, Sting, Sting, I'm not right? sure. So it it might not even be in that category. Yeah. Isn't what Sting Ding 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 in it? What about Tommy? Uh, Tommy's amazing. Tommy's a classic. Tommy so, belongs in this category, then. Uh, t- Tommy's the precursor. That was uh, that was the first. That was their first movie, right? I mean, 1975, and that was a that was a production. That was a rock music. That's like a, a that's a jukebox musical, man. I mean, who, who was? Oh, Tina Turner was the Acid Queen. Tina Turner and and Margaret and Mark Rock was, was in it. Um, Oliver Reed. Um, Ringo's in it. Uh, Ringo is in it. John Entwistle. Uh, Eric Clapton. I Eric, sight, Eric Clapton. I sight to the blind, right? I, I sight to the blind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is in Jack Nicholson. Really? Jack, Jack Nicholson plays the doctor. I see no sense, no nothing combination. All eyes. <laughs> I'm trying to remember some of the words. Um, yeah, it, it was great, though. Baked beans coming out of the television and all kinds of stuff. But yeah. uh, D- Daltrey, Daltrey was amazing as Tommy. It, it, it's funny because it was his. This is what's great about Daltrey. It was his role in the album. And like Pete Townsend said, he goes, he watched Roger become Tommy when he wasn't sure he'd be able to yeah. do all the songs. He goes, he goes, he embodied it. And then he embodied it on the screen. And he did Listomania with Ken Russell, who directed Tommy after that. Some kind of about Franz Liszt. Uh, I think yeah, Franz it. Liszt. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who invented Listerine, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he invented Listoil. But uh, you know, as far as Tommy goes, I, I mean, Pete Townsend wrote most of the songs. I think John Entwistle wrote maybe a couple of them. Um, Cousin Kevin, maybe. 
Uncle Ernie. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning, campers. <laughs> I don't know. Now, now, Keith Moon was Mooney played Uncle Ernie in in the movie. Yeah. Now, as we talked about, and in, in, I, I don't think you said you've ever heard any of this. I think it was 1973. There is a version of Tommy with the London Symphony Orchestra, I believe. But the characters are all cast by current rock singers of the day. Um, and that's the first one I heard before the album, Tommy, and before the movie, obviously. because Really? It's got um, Steve Winwood plays uh, the father role. Um, uh, Roger Daltrey is Tommy. I mean, he's Tommy and everything. He is Tommy. Um, uh, but this is just... This, Sandy this, Denny... What's that? This is just audio. This is not right. Yeah, no, it was an album, all audio. Right. Um, Sandy Denny from Fair Park Convention is a mother. Um, John Entwistle is cousin Kevin. Ringo is Uncle Ernie in it. Um, who else? Uh, something I forgot. I forgot who plays some of the other characters, but um, it's a really cool version, but it's all symphonic. But it, you know, it, so that yeah, so the movie came out in '75. But uh, Ken Russell, yeah, directed. But it, I, I remember seeing that in the movies and just loving it. I thought it was just so wild, you know. And then the music, music is exciting. Seen in, in the theater uh, without wearing a mask. We, we just, <laughs> we, <laughs> we just, I, I've been to the movies recently. It's weird. <laughs> There's only five people there, but you know. So Led Zeppelin, the song remains the same. Have you seen that? I've seen bits and pieces. Yeah, that was another little bit of self-indulgence also. As I mentioned, I, I was someone I didn't appreciate Zeppelin in high school. It took years and years and years until I'm like, okay, I said, it, 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 it's sad to say, you know, they're, they're, they're a great fan. And uh, my son is, is, a, is a big fan. I, well, but these movies, when you think about it, it's like it's their magical mystery tour. Yeah, there, there's flights of fancy. Right, yeah, there's little bits of... There's Zofo. Right, you know, like Robert Plant has his little segment. Jimmy has his segment on the mountain or wherever it is. Yeah, and of course, then they, in, you know, intertwine it with some live, with some live songs, and mm. yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. You know, the song remains the same. Jimmy Page is very Jimmy Page is sloppy, and and I I guess in the sense that tough to nail all of that down, you know, because. He was known for layering guitars. Right, right. Like, for instance, on, on that album, Houses of the Holy, which is one of your faves, I understand. Right? It has the Rain song on it. And, Does that uh, Dancing Days on it? Dancing Days. Okay. Right? And yeah. um, I think the song remains the same. It might be like the first song on there. And there's like, he layers like 10 guitars on there or something. Sure. And it's fabulous. It's great. Like, he's also, he's also a producer. Like, wow, man. But when you, to perform it, it's like, oh, oh, okay. You know, but, but, you know, it is what it is. I mean, to see, like, you know, I know people who've seen Led Zeppelin. I've never seen them, but I know people who have seen them multiple times. Yeah. So, yeah, the song remains the same. Led Zeppelin, it was like, to me, it was kind of their magical mystery tour. You know, this guy, um, John Bonham with his race cars, with his hot rods, <laughs> right? What, what, what was with these '60s drummers? They were just—they were so destructive. You know, it was it. 
Was it a persona you felt you, they, they were supposed to have? Was it part of the package? You know, they're from a they're from a generation prior to us, so you know, yeah. I I don't know where their you know where their head is at. Yeah. Yeah. Have you got any more? Uh, yeah, I do. I do. Uh, we did mention the uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Uh, Tony Rocky Horror. Oh, um, all right. Well, I have to tell no, you. I, I don't have much to say about it because I've never seen it, but I do have to. The only time I ever stood up a girl was I was supposed to. I got set up for a date to go see Rocky Horror Picture Show, and I didn't show up. I'm proud to say I've never seen the Rocky <laughs> Horror Picture Show, and never will. And never I, will. I, I don't care about it. I, don't, I really don't care. I think the fan of the paradise. Tim I, Curry. <laughs> Tim what? Curry was, you know, he was a great singer, and he did a song called "Sweet Transvestite" or something. Oh yeah, oh yeah, um, you know, but also like "Phantom of the Paradise." This one also was critically lambasted, or whatever it was called. But it, it's a cult uh, classic. Susan Sarandon's in it, and uh, Barry Bostwick. Right, uh, but I was never, I never went like you know to these midnight. You know, I've, everyone used to tell me. Well, many people used to tell me that, uh, you know, we go there, we start throwing hot dogs at the screen, or like. I never got it. I, I don't get it, man. Yeah. You know? I'd like to propose a toast. <laughs> <laughs> a toast. Okay. Well, but that, that, wasn't, that wasn't my pick, though. That was just an aside. But my pick is, I think this is the, um, I think it's the Citizen Kane of all, of all rockumentaries, mockumentaries, if you will. And it is, this is Spinal Tap. Yeah. Does that, right, does that count? Is that? <laughs> You're damn right it counts. It has to. Just it, it's it's just so great. It it, it has spawned music. It's it has to be mentioned. It, it would be it would be remiss. We would be beyond remiss to not mention uh, this is fun. Now there's also many others, and if some of our listeners, because we got 25 now, so Tom Spallone, Mark Smith, Steve Thorns, if you guys got any ones that we missed, you know, um, feel free to uh, emails at uh, musicalspodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. And, Did I say that right? In fact, you were talking about the Spinal Tap guys this morning. Mm-hmm. Before I went to work, I was watching uh, the Folksman. <laughs> <laughs> a Mighty Wind, uh, it's called. <laughs> I love that movie. So do I. It's, uh, uh, you know, the thing about Spinal Tap, you know, it was it was made in 1984. Rob Reiner directed it. And I, I he wrote it. I guess the other guys, you know, I don't even know if like Christopher Guest and Michael McKean, if they all wrote it together or not. Um, as, as everyone knows, it's a mockumentary about a, a fictitious band, an English hard rock band called Spinal Tap. Um, you know, Christopher Guest plays Nigel Tufnell, uh, Michael McCain's David St. Hubbins, and Harry Shearer's Derek Falls. <laughs> <laughs> That's just so funny in and of itself. Um, I forgot who they said Christopher uh, Christopher Guest's character uh, was played, it was uh, modeled after. Uh, oh, really? I heard it. You know, I'll think if I think of it, I'll I'll interject oh. with it. To, to me, if I was to pick a band that they would remind me of, it would be almost like Deep Purple. Keep talking for a minute, Lou. I have to go get a bottle of water. And when sure, I say sure. I get a bottle of water, I mean I'm going to get a can of beer. And when I get a can of beer, I mean I'll be right. Back. All right, he's, he'll be right back. So I'm just going to blather on for a bit, you know. And I'm just going to engage in some well, shameless self promotion. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Spinal Tap is a movie that every time you see it, it's still funny. Um, the writing is, is just so amazing. It, it is the way it lampoons a band that is just so up their asses about themselves and in such funny and such hysterical ways. <laughs> um, and, and they have no clue. They have no clue as to how bad they are. <laughs> um, 
and, and what I like about not to mention just some of the songs, but some of the cameos. Um, my favorite is Bruno, Cur- the late great Bruno Kirby Jr. Yeah, uh, as the limo driver, uh, Tommy Pichetta. <laughs> um, just going on about Sinatra to <laughs> these guys, and they roll the window up on them. Because yes. when, when you loved and lost like Frank, I tell you, he he was there with you, you know. <laughs> um, Ed Begley Jr. as John Stumpy Peppies. I think he was the first drummer. Um, well, these, these are the players and, that yeah. they have in all all of Christopher Guest's movies. He has this this cast, this you know, this ensemble yeah, they're, cast. They're, 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 they're an ensemble, ensemble, you know. Yeah. Um, whether it's Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy, and uh, but uh, Dan, you know, did you know Danny Interestingly, Corey, though, Dan, you know, in in um, in a mighty wind, um, Eugene Levy and Kent, they really did the singing. Right. Of, of course they did. Yeah. yeah. Um, did you know Danny Korchmar is in Spinal Tap? No. He plays a character called Ronnie Pudding. I don't know who he is. Cooch is in there, huh? Cooch is in there. I mean, you know, uh, Fran Drescher, of course. She was yeah. Bobby Fleckman. Uh, Dana Carvey was the mime waiter. Yeah. Uh, Paul Schaefer's in there somewhere, right? Yep. Uh, Russ Kunkel. Wow. He was Eric Stumpy Joe Giles, the, the drummer. I think he exploded. He might have exploded. Uh, Fred Willard, obviously. Um, apparently Steven Tyler didn't see the humor in it. Uh, according to, uh, was it, who's that? Brad Whitford. Was he the rhythm guitar player? Yeah. Um, yep. but I, I, I read where like, uh, Aerosmith had the rock of, uh, rock and a hard place album. Uh, it had Stonehenge on the cover. Of it. <laughs> oh, you remember when, <laughs> when this Stonehenge came and they got the dimensions wrong. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Somebody yeah. wrote 18 inches instead of 18 feet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, so apparently when when Sting did his first solo tour with the Dream of the Blue Turtles album. Yeah. Uh, oh, Bring on the Night. That's another great. I didn't even think of that. Um, I love that movie. Sting's Bring on the Night. It was a chronicle of his first solo tour with his jazzy band. Um, I got to tell I, you, I saw Sting's jazzy band. Yeah. At Radio City Music Hall. And Omar team was the drummer. And yeah. Bernard. Uh, yeah, and I gotta uh, uh, tell Brad, you, uh, Bradford Marcel, Bradford Marcel, the, the sound was phenomenal. I mean, in a in a place that's designed for sound, first off, it yeah. was great. It was really good. You saw them live? Yeah, saw Sting at Radio City Music Hall. Yep. I'm sure you must have told me. I'm jealous, man, because I I love that. Well, I went to see the movie, and I sat there like this was really good. Uh, Omar Hakim was amazing, and the uh, bass player is now in the Rolling Stones. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, what's his name? Daryl Jones. Daryl Jones. Yeah. Yes. Yep. It sounded great. Free tickets, so yeah, I'll go. Yeah. Sure. Wow. <laughs> anyway, yeah, cool. Uh, that 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 was a that was a great that was a great. It was, from, it was actually it was it was from a guy you and I used to work with when we were in uh, four color separation when we were doing graphics. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. Um. But um yeah so so why so get back to Stonehenge well actually I meant to mention and bring on the night uh, apparently Sting uh, they like to watch uh, this is Spinal Tap on their tour buses and things just to <laughs> you know, to pass the time so apparently when during one of the shows I don't know if it's in the movie or not I remember they dropped a little Stonehenge on the stage and apparently Sting was upset about it <laughs> like it, it might have it might have disturbed his concentration or something you know. Oh well, but yeah, uh, you know, do you remember some of the, the song titles in, in Spinal Tap? Uh, uh, no, I just remember the phases when they were like a little yeah pop group, and then they morphed into a you know a metal group or whatever it was. Right. 
Well, when they're playing the Air Force Base, they're playing Big Bottom. <laughs> yeah. Talk about mud flaps, my girls got them. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, bitch School, Stonehenge. Tonight, I'm going to rock you tonight, my personal favorite. And I, I and they really do play. Yeah, they're, they're musicians. They're musicians. And, and even like in A Mighty Wind, a lot of those songs were written by Michael McKeon and his wife, Annette O'Toole. Right, right. And they wrote most a lot of those songs. And well, like, if, if you go back to the 70s, one of my favorite 50s bands is Lenny and the Squigtones. Oh, yeah, that Michael McKeon, from, yeah. From Laverne and Shirley. He had, they had some funny stuff. But it was uh, Michael McKeon and the, and the late, great David Lander. Oh, that guy's gone, huh? Yeah, David Lander died last year or the year before. That's Squiggy? He was Squiggy. He was, uh, uh, I think, Andrew Squigmon was his name. <laughs> Hello, Laverne. <laughs> um, but uh, I said that. Uh, so get back, go back to um, Hell Hole was from the album Smell the Glove. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they had a song called Clam Caravan. I want to talk about it. Uh, Rock and Roll Creation Sex Farm was some shark sandwich, which all the critics called shit sandwich in the movie, of course. And um, yep. So that that was pretty that that was Spinal Tap. It, it, it's it's a worthy inclusion. Um, and that's pretty much that's pretty much what I got. All right. Well, I've got, there was one uh, one quickie I want to get in there is Talking Heads. Stop making sense. Sure, sure. This was a live thing by them. I think this is when David Byrne had that real giant suit on or something. <laughs> it's it's very art. I mean, this is art artistic, very artistic. I kind I kind of like that stuff. Minimalist white funk. Yeah. Well, what about? Uh, it's a documentary. It's a documentary. How do you feel about this? What? Wilco, I am trying to break your heart. Now, would that belong in this category? Um, not really, because it doesn't have them playing live or much in it. Yeah, just, it was, uh, yeah. It, it, it's a document. It's an interesting documentary. But, yeah, you know, just just for just for watching how the band disintegrate. Well, that didn't disintegrate. Yeah. They they kept moving. But they changed some things along the way. They changed. I remember. I, I remember seeing. What about it's, the? It's not an easy watch. And again, there's a lot of smoking in closed spaces. Yeah. <laughs> well, now, now you have to warn about that. Now, you you know now it's uh you know Netflix or you know all these streaming companies have to say you know it has okay. smoking and drinking and yeah, abusive language and. Uh, <laughs> That's jumping and humping. <laughs> Kissing and jumping and drinking and humping. <laughs> Waterboarding. Torture. Um, Neil Young, Russ Never Sleeps. Was that a movie? Was that a documentary? I don't know. I don't know either. Did, but... Didn't he do a, a cinematic release, though? Uh, would you, when he did the Tron, the, was it Tron's Tran? <laughs> well, I like, I like Neil Young. I think it was Tron, the Tron tour. I saw that tour. I remember one time way back when, have you, maybe you've seen it. It's it's a it was a docket. It was Big Sur. It was a festival at Big Sur, huh. circa nineteen sixty eight, maybe. Neil Young was there, and uh, well, Neil Young was playing a lot of Hammond organ. Or, or what about this this show? You've seen it. I've seen it. It's called Echo in the Canyon. Yeah, yeah. Those are documentaries. It's uh, Jacob Dylan. Jacob Dylan. Yeah. And Beck and Cat Power and all and this is a performance too. And I really enjoyed that. And they sounded good. 
Yeah, yeah. There, there was some good. That was good. Um, that's that's more. Um, I'm thinking. Well, that's not cinema. Was that released in the movies? That, that was. That's, like, uh, that's COVID yeah. era. I don't know. It was a documentary, yeah. but it had a lot of live performances in it, and it was really good. Yeah. Well, I, have a, I got one, and it's, it's it was a cinematic release and a total piece of crap. It was the uh, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. <laughs> Train wreck. <laughs> when trains collide, buildings collapse in slow motion. Fires break. This out. was the Bee Gees and Peter Frampton, right? Yeah, it was the uh, Peter Frampton is. This is when Peter Frampton was a golden god. Uh, it, yeah, it was. It was right after. I don't know if this was. Uh, was definitely after. Um, Frampton comes alive, but I don't know if it was right after. I'm in you. You're in me. I'm in you. You're in me. Because <laughs> you give me. <laughs> well, there's there's a thing about you know writing songs for yourself and writing songs for your fan base. There's yeah. the thing. And that 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 gets a little tricky there. Did he write it? Yeah. I to me Probably. at that point he was writing songs for his fan base as opposed to writing songs for himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. And that that that's my view on that. Yeah, and I, I, I would agree that the, the pressure was on. Yeah, you know, I've never seen this movie. You two rattle and hum, but that was a live documentary with them and, and concert too. You know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we should have forgot that the Bee Gees are also they played the Henderson Brothers in Sgt. Pepper. They played the who? Uh, they were called the Henderson. I guess they were the Hendersons, you know, from uh, the Hendersons will all be there. Later, Pablo Fanka's fair. What a scene. From um, <laughs> for the benefit of Mr. Kite. So and Paul McCartney, when he had that song where he goes, Uncle Ernie, Auntie Jim, you think he's talking about the Uncle Ernie character from the Tommy? I don't know. I, I, I know he mentions the Everly Brothers. He goes, Martin Luther. Bill and Don. Bill and Don. I yeah. love that song. I, he's Paul. I, I think that is. I think he's one Paul. Of what? He's Paul. Yeah. He what? He's Paul McCartney. Yeah. Oh yeah. But I think that's one of his cleverest compositions. It's got all his little little trademarks in it. That was a nifty little category, man. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, and then there's probably a lot. Of, so there's, there's things you know, a lot of other things you mentioned too. Like I forgot about "Bring On the Night" by Sting. I'm sure that like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You mentioned the Talking Heads one. You know. um, you know, a lot. I guess I got a lot of the classic stuff there too. You know those. Well, you know, we may ha- if we get some suggestions, we may have to do a part two sometime in the future. Yeah. So all twenty five. Speak up. We we. I mean, come on. We you know we just. Uh, but but that Chuck Berry hell hell rock and roll man that was good. That they were tight. I mean, that was a battle hmm. to get that thing done. Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess he, uh, uh, Chuck was difficult. So I've got a one-hit wonder of the week. You do? Okay. I do. Now, it was number three in the U.S. and Canadian charts. Number three in both? Number three in the U.S. and Canada. Cool. Number 20 in the U.K. singles charts. In Smash Hit magazines, in uh, Smash Hits magazine, 1981, Phil Collins named this song one of his top ten favorites, he described it as a classic single. Hmm. Now, I'm going to play for you, Lou. I'm going to play for you the intro. Oh, you are? Yeah, I am. Just listen. I hope you can hear it, okay? Are you playing guitar or are you playing the actual song? No, no. I'm going to play. Just listen, okay? All right. Let me know if you can hear this. Okay. Can you hear it? 
a little bit. You can't hear it very well? I can't hear it at all. All right, look. I think I know what it is, though. I'll move this in closer. Hold on. Hold on. Wait. I I can tell you. Wait, wait, wait. I want you to guess, but let me give you this. It's Ace. How long? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I I had it the first time. Can you hear it? Yes, I can. You're going to get sued. So now, (laughs) so this song, Ace, this is, uh, Paul Carrick wrote it. Paul Carrick, yes. Paul Carrick wrote it. Now, most people would think, most people think that it's a song about infidelity. Correct. But it's not. It's not. It kind of is. In a sense, it is, yeah. Because... um, because it was about the bass player. It was about the bass player who happened to be going behind their back to to mess around with this other, you know, he was working with these other bands. And, and that's really what it was about. And, you know, when he has the line like, your friends with their pet yeah. persuasion. It's, hmm. you know, he's talking to the bass player who was working with these other groups called quiver. And so he's talking about their management, you know, the, the friends with their fancy persuasion. Yeah. And things like that. And you, you, you were never intending on, on, on uh, never intended on leaving our scene in this way. Yeah. Yep. How absolutely. long has this been going on? How long has this been going on? Right. So, you know, but the guitar solo and their nifty little guitar it's solo. A great guitar solo. The guy's name was Phil Harris. Okay. Who played the uh, guitar solo? But so the bassist, his name was Terry Comer. His nickname was Tex. He had been secretly working with the Sutherland Brothers mm-hmm. and the group called Quiver. And so when he has the line. Um, the friends with their fancy persuasion it's in reference to the management of the Sutherland brothers and quiver. Okay. Wow. So yeah, but Paul Carrick wrote the song and um, I'm going to, I want to get to that nifty little uh, guitar solo. (laughs) All right. Sure. I just want to, I just want to see if I can, uh, Get up to that because it was a, a nifty little thing. Here it comes. Can you hear it? Yeah. Now that to me that guitar sound is reminiscent to almost that Isley Brothers who's yeah. that lady. Who's that lady, yeah. Now now I know that like the Isley Brothers song, that was that was you know, one of the first like guitar synthesizer songs. 
So I, I'd like to find out wh- how he got that sound. Oh, we got that. It's probably not that complicated, I bet. Yeah, but that was a nifty little yeah. solo for that song. But it was their only, it was their only charting hit. And I mean, in the UK, it only reached number twenty. Wow, but, but it was number three in the US. It was number three in the US and Canada. Okay, I believe yeah, that. I, when I, I, I saw Nick Lowe, I saw Nick Lowe, and Paul Carrick was the keyboard player. Right. And Martin Belmont was the guitar player. And of course, wherever Paul Carrick goes, he plays this song. So I actually saw him play it. And it's really good. And, you know, this guy has been around, this Paul Carrick. He was in, he replaced Jules Holland in Squeeze. Yeah, well, he sang Tempted. He uh, sang he's... Tempted by the Fruit of Another. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> um, he was also the singer, and one of the singers with another guy named Paul Young, I think it was Paul Young, and Mike and the Mechanics. He sang Silent Running. Yeah, yep. Um, uh, he's a he's a great singer. There's some documentaries about him. Um, there's one on the BBC called "The Man with the Golden Voice." Yeah, because um, he, yeah. he really is a good someone. I, I someone wrote an interview about him. They called me "Poor Man Phil Collins." So I thought that was pretty pretty bad at the time. Because um, you know, he's a very talented musician. He plays the Clapton. I think he said that. Um, he he does a cover of a Bruce Springsteen song called um, "If I Should Fall Behind, Wait for Me." That's really really pretty. Um, but he also now I think Ace that song is considered yacht rock. Well, I it was called it was I think it was classified as soft rock. Well, sure, but I, I consider I well I consider it a, a yacht rock song. It's mid seven it's mid seventies. It's kind of laid back, you know. It's not hard, but um, one thing I noticed on that guitar solo, the drummer goes to quarter notes on the bell of the cymbal. If yeah. you ever see if you ever see a live version, the beginning it listen again listen to the hi hat. He's doing it with one hand. It's like 30 second notes or something. It's amazingly fast uh, how he did it with one hand. It's, I can't hum it out. It would sound ridiculous. But. Well, th- this is a gr- it's a great it was a great song. Yeah. Rod Stewart covered it in 1981. No kidding. Yeah. And it wow. started in the it's top the flip 50 side of fat infatuation in the UK singles chart. It was in the US Billboard Top 100, number 26 in Ireland. And uh, it was covered by Bobby Womack, by Barbara Mandrell. Bobby Womack. Bobby Womack covered it, yep. You want to talk about Bobby Womack? Well, I don't know. <laughs> Folks, we're going off the cuff here. Uh, well, Bobby Womack is a, um, he's a soul songwriter, performer. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you know the early Stone song, the Stones cover? I think it's, this will be the last time, maybe. But he... They covered one of his songs early on and something like that. I don't know if that was a song, but uh, Bobby Womack married Sam Cooke's widow shortly after Sam Cooke's murder. Really? Yeah. And what happened was uh, Sam Cooke and his wife had a daughter. He ended up having an affair with a teenage daughter and marrying her after he divorced the mother. And he was shunned from the other community. But he's a songwriter. He's written a lot of songs. What, well, he wrote, hear, he wrote uh, he wrote that Stone song. Uh, yeah, that's it's we, all we, over now. It's all that's the one. It's all yeah. over now. Yep. I used to love. OK. Um, but, you know, he's written for other things. His his stuff I hear when I hear it, I, I it doesn't grab me. It sounds like he's trying to sound like every type of soul music ever made at one time. Whereas like Sam Cooke was singular, you know, the Stones were singular. But his not saying it's, it's not talent there, but uh, the, the backstory was kind of weird because, you know, it was uh you're reading about Sam Cooke and I've seen some documentaries where some people think his, his murder was a conspiracy. And I'm going to say, I, I don't see it. I have a hard time seeing that one that, as a conspiracy. Um, 
you know, even though it was at the height of the civil rights, but he was he was beloved by white America, you know, but well, we were really went off the rails there. Huh? We went off the rails there. <laughs> well, I think we covered we covered the music thing now. We're just uh, we're just doing what we do, you know, just talking about yep. music and relishing talking about the relishment of music. <laughs> yep, yep. So, um, yeah, so I'm spent as far as categories go, Lou. Yeah, man. And and the one hit wonder, Paul, Paul Carrick and and Ace. Hey, Ace. Yeah, that guy. He's a great career, and he's still around. He, he's a he's a journeyman, you know. He's a, um, you know, like I said, as a keyboard player, you know, he, he's known more as a singer too. But he plays guitar as well. But um, yeah, great musicians. I mean, when you heard uh, "Tempted," that was a, probably a number one. I bet that might be Squeeze's. That was hit. one of their biggest hits. Yeah. yeah. And I think that was from, um, what's the name of that record? Like East Side Story. I think Elvis Costello produced some of that, I, I believe. Or maybe with Nick Lowe, too. But I think. Because uh, Elvis Costello's Untempted. You know Party Sings? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And wish you know I could sell. <laughs> yeah, no, wasn't he on Black Coffee in Bed? Yeah, yes, he was. Yeah. Yeah. Squeeze, yeah, we'll have to talk about them one day. They're a great pop group. They were that was another band that was supposed to be the next Beatles. That was that was after the Knack, I think. The Knack were in 79. They were supposed to be the next Beatles. They even different than Tilbrook were gonna be Lennon and McCartney, yeah. Yeah, yeah, different, yep, they were. I had I had all those squeeze records, Argy Bargy and uh, Cool for Cats. It's cool for cats. Yeah. But do you uh, do you want to play an outro, Lou? I think it's it's after a time. Yeah, so let's just say that uh, this is a Music Relish Podcast, and uh, anyone can reach us at gmail.com. Yeah. Right? Right. And, uh, yeah. So we've got some future episodes, and, yep, and we hope to see you in, in another week or so. And uh, what have you got for us, Lou? A nice little outro? That's a nice little acoustic number. Well, good night, everyone.